0: I mean, it's kind of cute, right? Hello, and welcome back to Kind of Cute. And if you're new here, welcome. My name is Bailey Evan. I'm your host. And on Kind of Cute, we discuss articles from The Cut and my general pop culture musings. Whew, y'all, the last weekend wrecked me. And now I feel like I have to go do it all over again. So last week was my little brother's college graduation. And weirdly, it was on a Thursday So we took off work on Thursday and Friday. It was a lot of partying, celebrating. Then Kenzie and I drove four hours back home and then went to our local music festival for two days. So I was just so out of it this week. And I apologize. This is my long way of saying this is why the episode is kind of coming. This episode is serving as last week's and this week's because then this week I have Kenzie's. Birthday on Friday, so we're celebrating that. It's a derby weekend, it's Mother's Day. Still a lot going on, guys. I hope you guys are celebrating it up too. And one more thing before we get started, I have to give a shout-out to Anna because she gave me the cutest little gift for my first time guesting and with a sweet little message. And it just gives me hope because you guys know sometimes I get down on myself about this podcast and feeling like it's not growing or it's not good enough. And and it really just made my day, and I'm so thankful for you guys as my listeners. Okay, I lied. I have one more thing before we get into pop culture that I wanted you input on, because maybe I'm just being exceptionally petty, but there's something cathartic about ranting on this podcast, so maybe if I just rant on here, I'll get completely over it. Okay, so I noticed last week when I was searching for my podcast like on Apple that there was another podcast called Kinda Cute. Kind of chaotic that was coming up right underneath mine in the results, and I was like, oh, "Seriously, like that name feels so close to mine." So I looked them up on Instagram, and I and they only had one episode. And I messaged them, and I thought it was a pretty nice message. I was just like, "You know, congrats on your new podcast. Would you consider editing the name?" My podcast has been named kind of cute since 2019. These girls also on their Instagram profile said they lived in Florida. And I said, you know, I'm actually hoping to trademark this in the near future. And I just think it might be beneficial to both of our brands um, and cut down on confusion if you change the name. And like, because I was kind of thinking, why couldn't they just say call it kind of chaotic, you know, instead of kind of cute, kind of chaotic. And they responded and they were like. I'm really sorry that our name begins with kind of cute, but that's not our entire podcast name. It's kind of cute, kind of chaotic. This is just a fun hobby for us, and only our friends are listening, We made up our name using phrases that we say all the time, and it looks like we're in two different genres. Ours is aesthetic, and ours is based on our lives in Central Florida and capitalized New York City. I also see when I search kind of cute, there's also kind of cute, kind of not, kind of cute nails, a lot of kind of cutes. We appreciate you reaching out. We respect your feelings, but we really love the name we created, which, great, love that for them. But I just have a few issues with this. I mean, what they said about kind of cute, kind of not and kind of cute nails. Yeah, there's a lot of Instagram names that start with kind of cute. But as of now, the only podcasts that are called that have kind of cute in the name are mine and theirs. And, you know, the reason this becomes an issue is because when you search it, it kind of messes up with the SEO. When you're searching it online, the results just get kind of muddled. And I just feel like, that's one of the things that you if you look up any article online when you're starting a podcast, it's like make sure that you're not using the same name as someone else's podcast just to make things easier and better for everyone um and again, I don't want like hate towards these girls or anything i'm not I'm not trying to do that I'm just like I just don't really get it and I just needed to rant about it for a second because I <laughs> I, I just don't understand because they're saying it's only for their friends, but if you look at their social media, it's very clear they're promoting it, honestly marketing it way better than I ever could with mine, to be fully honest. Like they're they seem like they're really going for it in a way that I lack. And I I just truly, truly don't get it. Um again, I know I'm being petty. I, I fully agree with that, but it's also one of those things that if you are wanting to protect your intellectual property, especially trademarks, you have to um, kind of police them in a way. A lot of celebrities get flack, like Taylor Swift I know is one, for like really policing her trademarks. But the thing is, if you don't actively try to cut down on other people using your trademarks, then you'll lose them. So it becomes this sort of hard thing where you're put in this spot where, yeah, you don't want to be going after people. You don't want to make their lives hard, but at the same time, if you want to protect your intellectual property, you kind of have to do it. So Anyways, as of now, I don't have a registered trademark. I, I'm i on the fence if that's even something I want to do. But again, I just had to rant about it for you guys because, again, it's cathartic and that's the beauty of having your own podcast so you can get on here and rant about petty shit. Okay, moving on to our pop culture moments. So, First off, I had to give a little update because in my last episode, I briefly touched on the influencer Tinks and how she was coming under fire on Reddit for some problematic tweets she had posted in the past and certain tweets she had liked that were xenophobic, among other issues. So after I recorded that episode, like a day later, she actually finally posted a Instagram apology because I was kind of that was why I talked about it last week, because I was actually just interested in how she was going to handle it, because I thought it was kind of reaching this boiling point where she couldn't not address it because people were flooding her podcast reviews, referencing the tweets. So even if you shut off your comments on your Instagram and on your TikTok, there's no way to kind of avoid it on reviews because you can't delete. Apple podcast reviews. And I'm not going to get too deep in this. There's podcasts that have covered it way deeper than I have. Uh, but I do think it's very interesting how she's handling it. It's kind of, I thought the apology was pretty half-assed, didn't address a lot of the issues that people had with her tweets and what she liked, really only addressed her fat fatphobic con- comments. So I was really surprised by that, and then I was surprised that she hasn't, to as far as I know, addressed this at all on TikTok, which is her much larger platform. She has over a million followers on TikTok and under 500,000 on Instagram, and you might be wondering why is this particular influencer getting spoken about so much when influencers do tweet, say problematic things every day that have probably a much bigger following than her and it isn't really focused on? And that's the other fascinating part about all this to me is that I don't know what it is about Tinks that gives her such mainstream clout. I guess it is truly just having a really, really great PR team that gets her name out there in these huge publications like Glamour and e Entertainment News. But I that's the other wrinkle to this. It's like you have this amazing PR team that's making you kind of mainstream in a way that I think people like Emma Chamberlain really successfully have done, yet at the same time the same PR team didn't make sure to scrub your social media. Like, it's really, it's odd to me. It's like almost focusing on the wrong, well, definitely focusing on the wrong things. And she continues to kind of do her day to day actions, like her Ask Me Anythings and brand deals she's had. And of course, I understand that because she was probably contractually obligated. Like, I know she spoke at an Amazon event, which I'm sure she signed the contract before this all went down. And you know, she couldn't really get out of that without breaking her contract. But again, just sort of a fascinating way and glimpse into the influencer world and how PR teams and her managers and her agents are handling this. And again, I just, I think they're really still kind of going for the sweep it under the rug handling of this and sort of just acting like nothing's wrong and continuing on. If it was me, like if I was her, I can't tell you guys how much I would have needed to just fully get off the internet for probably two months. Not even for saving my image or anything like that, just because mentally I think it's it's so much and to just constantly be on the internet and in the place where you're constantly being reminded of your bad actions. Oh, I mean, it's just awful. Like, I, I just don't think I'd mentally be able to handle that. And beyond that, I think sometimes it's just important to step away and reevaluate what's important and and let your followers kind of do the same, like marinate away from you for a little bit. All right, let's talk about the met for a second. I just wanted to talk about my favorite moment so far, and that is literally Emma Chamberlain's red carpet interviews and the one with Jack Harlow is the funniest shit I've ever seen. Emma Again, I already mentioned Emma Chamberlain in this episode. She is a young influencer who shot to fame very quickly, but has now been around for quite a few years, even though she's only, I believe, 20 years old. And she is such a fashion icon at this point. She's partnered with Louis Vuitton, Vogue a lot of time uses her for red carpet coverage. So that's what she was doing at the Met. But she also walked the carpet herself. I actually really loved her look. I thought she was one of my favorites. Sorry, I'm I'm like reapplying my makeup. One moment. You did a great job. Am I doing good? Yeah. Okay, so what are we wearing tonight? A suit. Okay, by who? Givenchy. Amazing. Dark chocolate. Amazing. So are you like comfy with this stuff now? Hell yeah, I'm a vet now. You're it's a my vet second one. We're so chill right now. Yeah, we ain't tripping. Nothing internally going on. No. At all. Did you have any like freak out today? Did you have like a moment today where you're like, actually am I might like, maybe I am freaked out. Did you? For sure. Okay, then yes. Okay, perfect. Oh, so you're matching my answer. I just want to make sure we're comfortable. On the same page. Yeah. What do you, like, get the most excited about when the Met comes around? The food. The food is so good. I know. There you go. You know what's up. I I don't have to explain it to you. Well, I'll see you in there. Can't wait. Love you. Bye. Love you. I'm sorry. It's too good. I had to include the whole clip, but it's really the part at the end where he goes, love ya, Bye. And she says, love ya back. And then she just looks at the camera and she goes, Pfft. <laughs> it's so relatable. It's like literally like when someone you say like happy birthday and you say you too back, like it's just such a relatable moment. Um, And I just thought it's, it's comedy to me. I don't know. I can't explain why I love it so much. Okay. The other thing I want to talk about from the Met Gala is how many dresses I saw were just not fitting in the breast area. The boobies were not supported, or they just were squished. Let me let me count the ways. Okay, I thought Sydney Sweeney's looked smushed. Katy Perry's were just kind of not supported at all. Looked uncomfortable, SZA Nicki Minaj, Billie Eilish were being squeezed to the gods and I know that's cuz a lot of people were going kind of a corseted route. But these poor boobs could not breathe. And I'm not just singling out the big busted girls here cuz there was some you know, bustier girls who theirs looked very well uh fitted. I thought Megan the Stallion's hers fit perfectly. Lizzo's hers fit well. But these other gals were just being squished and I I literally don't understand how they go to multiple fittings for this and then the designers were like, yeah, that looks good. Like that, them having their boobs squeezed to death is the look we're going for. Did anyone else notice this? Like, I, that to me was the biggest trend on the red carpet. The boobs not being taken care of. And then you had people like Cara Delevingne and Addison Rae at the after party. Because you know how they switch into different looks for that after party. They were both wearing visible pasties that look identical to the Hollywood glamour ones I buy from CVS. So Cara Delevingne's were pasties that were spray painted gold. Literally just looked like regular old plastic pasties. Addison Rae for the after party had on a completely sheer black top like she had on underwear that were black, a sheer overdress, but you could completely see her pasties through the dress and I just feel like okay, if you're going to show your pasties, why are you wearing the CVS ones? You know, like why aren't we giving you something a little cuter than that? It just did not look good and you know, it's one thing for a celeb to wear a dress that you're maybe like, okay, that's not my taste but you could kind of see the artistic nature behind it. I I don't understand the artistic direction of having visible plain ass pasties. If someone can enlighten me on that, like feel free. I just I don't get it. Okay, let's get into some little legal discussion. I swear I'm feeling a little off even just recording this podcast. You know I like to keep it positive. I feel like the fact that I started out with my petty ass complaints, bitching, it's because I'm just feeling a little bit off, and this whole leak of the Roe v. Wade decision is not helping my mood, to be completely honest with you. I, I'm just, i just—I'm I'm at a loss for words. Like, I, I really am reading that opinion. But I will say, you know, this is delusional of me, but maybe there's a glimmer of hope because Casey, which was one of the last Supreme Court cases that addressed Roe v. Wade— Initially, it was going to overturn it, but then Sandra Day O'Connor convinced Kennedy to change his opinion, and then we, you know, Roe v. Wade remained intact. So maybe the same thing could happen this time around. I mean, it's very doubtful, but um, I'm just hoping that the final version of the opinion, even if it's not, even if it does overturn Roe v. Wade, is not written the way it is currently because i think there's a lot of problematic language and because of stare decisis and precedent i just think that is not something we want um in our case law let's put it that way okay a few more legal issues to touch on the black china v kardashian case the jury came to a verdict well, first off, the judge threw out uh, the defamation claim against Kim Kardashian, and then the jury awarded no damages to Black China. It's also wild to me that the Kardashians weren't in court to hear the verdict because they had already flown to the Met Gala. Like, what a what a bizarre life! <laughs> and apparently, Black China's attorney um, told the Associated Press that she intends to appeal the decision. But as we spoke about, she still has the claim, the revenge porn claim against Rob Kardashian pending. So I am also interested to see how that comes down because I think she has a way better better chance of winning that case than this one against the Kardashians for interfering with the show on E. Okay, two more legal things to discuss. First up, uh, an update on the Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard case. Amber Heard just started her testimony yesterday. I was watching part of it while I was working and honestly, I'm just so disgusted by the rhetoric online that is so anti Amber Heard. It really is uncomfortable. Like one of the YouTube sites I was watching it on, where you can watch the trial live, I think it's called Law and Crime. They have a live chat and it goes really fast, but I was kind of just skimming some of the comments that people were saying. And they were just so anti-Amber Heard when she's testifying about this really uncomfortable, awful set of experiences she's had. And I'm just frankly shocked by it because people are like, she's such an actress. She's, she's faking it when I'm like, but can we not acknowledge that Johnny Depp also had a flair for the dramatics when he was up on, on the stand? Like they're, they are an actor and actress again, as I said before, the trial is a stage in its own way and everyone's a player in it and people are putting on a show because they're trying to persuade the jury. People are knocking her for the fact that she's speaking directly to the jury. That's what you're supposed to do. Like you're instructed, you, you're you convincing the jury. So when you're telling your story, you're not telling it to your attorney. Your attorney already knows what you're going to say. You are looking at the jury and you are telling them your story Again, I'm just, I'm just so wildly disgusted by people, how people are treating this case and making it a laughing stock when it's like, this is a domestic, ab- well, I'm sorry, it's a defamation case, but centered on domestic and sexual abuse. So come on. Okay, the last legal issue I want to speak about today is Olivia Wilde getting served on stage while she was at Comic-Con. So Olivia was at Comic-Con. She was discussing her upcoming movie starring Florence Pugh and Harry Styles called Don't Worry, Darling. When a woman approached the stage, handed her a manila envelope. It said personal and confidential on the top. And so she slides it across the stage. Olivia picks it up. At first, she appears to say, is this a script? And then she pulls out the papers, looks at them, tucks them back in and continues on with her presentation, which props to that, that she handled that so smoothly and well, just because even if what is in it, maybe she was expecting. I've read that um, the papers were establishing jurisdiction for her children that she shares with Jason Sudakis. It's still really shocking to be served when you're on stage. And you know, a lot of people are taking issue with this kind of being like, oh, Jason knew like he, he wanted her to be embarrassed like this. Well, I can tell you that normally the client has no involvement in the service process. And I will also say this is just a very odd way to go about it because because normally they're going to try to serve you at obvious places like your house or a place you normally are working which obviously this it was kind of her workplace for the day but i'm sure she has a more standard place like an office that she normally works at even if it's out of her own home so for sure they tried to serve her there first I would think this would only be done after multiple times of not being able to serve her. But this is where it becomes interesting and Jason potentially could have become involved because if they're really struggling to serve her, they could have said to Jason, like, where is an easy place for us to get access to her and be able to serve her these documents? And then on top of that, at least in Florida, the parties can agree to waive service. So as long as you're able to reach out to Olivia's attorney, which I would think Jason would know who her attorney is, so his attorneys could reach out to her attorney and say, are you willing to waive service and accept service of this lawsuit? And you would provide it to the attorney and they would accept service on behalf of their client. That could have been done. So I'm just very confused how it got to this point. It's, it really is wild. And I've never seen this happen in pop culture where someone's served on stage. Like a shocking moment in my mind. Speaking of Olivia, it's only fitting if we're talking about Olivia to talk about Harry Styles, and I know I speak about him a lot on this podcast, but I just find him endlessly beautiful, endlessly fascinating, and of course his PR has been ramping up with his album coming out this month, and then of course he just announced his tour Uh, like a second leg of his tour that's happening in America and it's crazy because he's doing like 10 nights at Madison Square Gardens and I can't think of anyone kind of on his same level that's done something like that. He's doing multiple nights in LA, multiple nights in Austin, multiple nights in Chicago. So, I mean, he's killing it. You know he's got that rich, rich money. Also, before we get into this, I want to say that um, I was made aware of this by the Ready to Be Petty podcast, she posted a clip from the Bachelor Party podcast of them interviewing a woman named Kate Galvin. She was on the recent Bachelor season and I think got sent home like on episode two but she seems very endearing, very cute. And one of her fun facts in her little Bachelor bio was that she had once gone on a date with Harry Styles. So they asked her about this. And I just so appreciate it because she went in on the juice. I mean, she told the whole story basically from start to finish. I mean, I would have loved more details. But I love when people are honest about celebrity hookups. And this was like one of the most honest one and real ones I've ever seen that wasn't on like some Reddit thread where you don't even know if it's true. So this like seeing someone actually tell a story of hooking up with Harry Styles and how they like met and got like a little drink and he ordered a coffee because he was only twenty at the time and she's around my age. She's thirty two. So, you know, Harry's consistent in loving an older woman and then they went their separate ways and then he texted her and was like, Wanna meet up to get a drink before you go to this Iggy Azalea concert that she was going to and then they met up at the house and like right as she opened the door he threw her against the wall like I was just living for all the details I want to have a conversation with her just to get more details (laughs) and also it was very clear that they met through Jeff Azoff and that man just has his little fingers up in everything and mm, I'm I really I'm just the Azoffs man maybe I'd be a fan if I met them but I'm just so jealous that I can't I can't even function. Um, if you don't know, the Azoffs are like a very powerful family. They own like Ticketmaster, Live Nation, and Jeff Azoff just like now basically manages Harry and a lot of other artists. Kind of has become like a Scooter Braun figure almost. And he he kind of also reminds me of a Zach Bia you know how Zach Bia is like friends with everyone I'm sorry if all of these names mean nothing to you I'm clearly like too into like tracking the movements of celebrity friends who aren't you know talent themselves but are very entrenched in the business and I'm just fascinated with them and Jeff Azoff is a perfect nepotism example of that speaking of the Azoffs did you know that Allison who um I think her last name's is Slatterly she is always touted as Kim's like best friend from when they were growing up, and she's very private. And she has like a private Instagram, and you know, she'll do little things with Kim here and there, but she's definitely not, you know, trying to be an influence or anything. Well, she's also an Azoth, fun fact. So I, again, I think that's kind of like why Kendall ended up dating Harry because the Kardashians are friends with the Azos, and then Harry's friends with Jeff Azoth. Fascinating. I'm telling you, I could do like a whole deep dive episode on the Azos. And I'm sorry, just to correct myself, I misspoke. Her name's Allison Statter, and Irving was CEO of both Ticketmaster and um, Executive Chairman of Live Nation. And then he started the Azov MSG Entertainment, which is a venture with Madison Square Garden. So as you can see, it makes perfect sense why Harry would be having 10 shows at MSG. Um, It's all connected, guys. (laughs) Okay, finally, with that very long interlude, now we can get into the Better Homes and Gardens interview with Harry Styles. It's titled, Exclusive, Harry Styles Reveals the Meaning Behind His New Album, Harry's House, by Lou Stoppard. I mean, honestly, this is a genius pairing. We have Harry's House doing a interview with Better Home and Gardens. Like, get it, house, home. I mean, so clever. And I also stalked the author of this article, and she seems happily engaged, but touche to her for having this interview at a public pool and getting Harry to take a shirt off and swim with her. Uh, Apparently, she and Harry are both very into swimming in cold water for exercise, which is fair. Swimming is obviously very good, very hard. Um, That's why I don't do it. He says, I feel like people who have discovered cold water swimming are just so happy for you that you've also found it, Styles said. But then later in the article, it's revealed that he got so cold swimming two lengths that he was shaking when they got out and they had to go find a nice warm spot to send, sit in. Um, and I just found this whole article like very delightful from start to finish. I think Lou, if I could call her that, did a great job. Um, just having a kind of nice and revealing, but not too revealing or invasive conversation with Harry. And I thought – I'm just going to read some parts that I found that struck me. And, you know, he's talking about his experience in COVID. And she writes, he was suddenly just another young guy in a house, share trying not to bug his roommates. And he came to realize that he had kind of been following this pattern of avoidance in his past relationships and friendships. He said, whether it was with friends or people I was dating, I was always gone before it got to the point of having to have any difficult conversations so he used that time to commit to being a better friend, son, brother. He had honest chats during quarantine, and that's when he kind of came to this idea of home and what it really means and how it signifies belonging, peace, sanctuary. He says, I realized that home feeling isn't something that you get from a house. It's more of an internal thing. You realize that when you stop for a minute. And again, I, you know, I've thought a lot about how it's so impossible to think what it would be like to live as the most popular boy band in the world and just that level of fame and the fanatics that come with it me being one of them and I've never really thought about the fact that (sighs) Yeah, it's like so easy to just kind of move on to the next thing when you're constantly going around the world. You don't really have to commit to a moment or commit to a lifestyle or a person. It's so easy to just be like, oh, well, I'm in Australia today. You know, I can't deal with whatever's going on back there. So I thought that was a good point that I haven't seen him make before. And it seems really obvious, but I don't know. It just spoke to me for some reason. Okay, this next part's a little anecdote from the, do- the author, and she says, The day before we meet, I listened to the album in a room at Sony's London headquarters under the watchful eye of a company executive. Only a handful of people knew then about its existence, and overwhelmed by the pressure of secrecy, I briefly freaked out when I found myself audibly humming one of the songs on the train home. A, this is so cool, literally my dream. B, I would also be humming it in the train, and be freaked out. <laughs> so i love that she included that detail because it's just so fun and then again i think this is just like me fangirling over this author because she truly captured just the je ne sais quoi of mr harry styles she writes styles is teddy bears on your teenage bed perfect handwriting on thank you cards picked flowers on sunday morning puppies running on fresh cut grass grandma's favorite homemade cakes At points, he's almost daffily nice, too attentive, as if held in the throes of a decade-long bout of imposter syndrome. He confirmed that he does sometimes expect that someone will tap him on the shoulder and say, the jig is up, you're done now. Surely a mask, you are thinking. No one that fancied can be that sweet. I asked Styles this myself. Is he actually pleasant, normal, sane? My producer keeps asking me when I'm going to have my big breakdown. He responds. Ugh I mean oh what an angel I just like refuse to read anything about him not being an angel but then again I do feel so bad for him because I think that's such a a hard level to be held to and every human deserves some grace and I feel so bad for him that I feel like he feels this pressure to be nice to every single person he encounters which is admirable and I would hope I would be that way too in the same situation but like it's just a fact of life that we're not gonna be on and happy and 100% every single moment of every single day so I just, uh, I, uh, my heart, it just, I feel bad for him. As bad as you can feel for a very successful um, A-list pop star. <laughs> but I thought this was eye-opening too about, you know, this whole facade he has to keep up. Because they talk about these cleanliness clauses that were in contracts used to sign. And it says they would dictate that it would be null and void if he did anything supposedly unsavory and about how terrified that used to make him. So when he signed his solo contract and learned that he had the ability to make music would not be affected by his personal transgressions, he burst into tears, a reaction he still seemed shocked by, retelling it to me now years later. I felt free, he explained. And then they talk about, and I've, I've seen this quoted in a few other publications they've picked up this part of the article he says for a long time I felt like the only thing that was mine was my sex life I felt so ashamed about it ashamed at the idea of people even knowing that I was having sex let alone who with at the time there was still the kiss and tell things working out who I could trust was stressful but I think I got to a place where I was like why do I feel ashamed I'm a 26 year old man who's single it's like yes I have sex so I thought that was very open of him and honestly kind of tied into my uh, Kate Galvinson story from earlier which she says they did not have sex they just hooked up again I like I appreciate how open she was about all of that. Um and then he also talks a little bit about his sexuality. It says people became incredulous that he wore dresses, waved pride flags and yet hadn't clarified with precision publicly to a journalist or on social media the specifics of who he slept with, how he defined. This expectation is to him bizarre, quote, outdated. Quote, I've been really open with it with my friends, but that's my personal experience. It's mine. The whole point of where we should be heading, which is toward accepting everybody and being more open, is that it doesn't matter. And it's about not having to label everything, not having to clarify what boxes you're checking. So again, I love that. And I think, honestly, Harry literally has his song, Medicine, that he's always begged to sing. And he sang it at the show I was last at um, on Halloween, Harry Ween. And it literally talks about like hooking up with guys and we're going to actually spoiler alert when we're doing a little blind section. It's going to be hairy this week. And, um, you know, I think there's some enlightening things in that, not even really about him being gay, but just showing that he's, he's open about being open about fluidity. Let's put it that way. Okay. Next article. What Candace Bushnell can't live without by Candace Bushnell is told to Ariella Avila. Honestly, I didn't find her what she could live without that enthralling. I didn't relate to it on the same level that I relate to a lot of the other ones, but the comments on it were killing me. Um, She says that she likes a certain brand of floss because it's made out of like a thread material instead of plastic. And she says, I don't know how healthy it is to be rubbing plastic in between your teeth all the time. And then her next item on the list is strawberry chapstick as in, you know, the chapstick brand as her favorite. which seems like weirdly down to earth for her. Um, I'm a lineage bitch myself. <laughs> Someone comments, I don't know how healthy it is to be rubbing plastic in between your teeth at all time. Then she proceeds to endorse chapstick, a highly unnatural product that you essentially eat every time you apply it. And I was like, honestly, again, touche, but I have to say her choices were just banal. Like, yes, there are Lanvin sneakers on it and there's a fancy coat and there's Manola Blonics, but the rest is just like velvet scrunchies and floss and dog poop bags. And the reason I wanted to touch on this article, we're just covering this briefly, but it's because of her consistent love of Cosmos and like every article I read about her, like I don't know if she's just gunning for a vodka deal. If so, let's get this woman a vodka deal. She cites Belvedere vodka as her favorite. She says it has a classy bottle. That's what first attracted her to it. She says the vodka itself is clean and a little bit more organic than others, which honestly dubious. I mean, I know it's like ultra filtered, but... Can we get past this whole thing of like drinking alcohol to be like healthy and clean? It's fucking alcohol. Okay. And she says, I started drinking it with Cosmos before I started writing Sex in the City back in the early 90s. Cosmos became my drink. And to tell you the truth, I still drink them to me it's a celebratory drink i like serving them at parties i stick to a classic cosmo but the most important thing is to make it with freshly squeezed lime juice but if i'm in a pinch i use key west lime juice oh my god we use that too i didn't even catch that the first time we when we're lazy and like sometimes like you just can't get enough juice out of the lime and i used to be a really big snob about that but like that shit works in a pinch why do you think i buy it Okay, we have little snot nosed Kinsey here, but I have to be nice to her because it's her birthday tomorrow. Hey, I'm <laughs> well, Cosmos are just used up um, vodka sodas with, I'm sorry, vodka crayons. Vodka crayons yeah. yeah. So it's like, really, what are you expecting? I mean, a vodka crayon's bad enough. A vodka crayon not on ice is, I mean, no, thank you. Okay. This next one is a wild ride. So strap in. This is actually a Vanity Fair article, but I was just so enthralled with this story that and I love their reporting that I just like wanted to focus on it today. So it's called Scene Stealer, The True Lies of Elizabeth Finch, Part One. For years, a Grey's Anatomy writer told her personal traumas in online essays and wove those details into the show's plot until a surprising email to Shondaland accused her of making it all up. And this is by Evgena Peretz. Okay, before we get into this, this story contains about every trigger you could think of. There's SA, there's cancer, there's suicide. So I put this at the end in case you just want to skip it all together. I would totally understand. Um... But as you'll come to see, a lot of it's a lie. But there's still there's still a lot of true um, traumatic things that go on in it. So let's get into it. And I will try to make it as minimally confusing as possible. I basically just want to tell you guys the story because it's kind of long. And I don't know if everyone wants to read the article. So I it's worth reading, though, for sure. But I just kind of wanted to, you know, tell you the story in my my own words. So this is a story about Elizabeth Finch and back in 2014 she wrote an article for Elle magazine about how she was diagnosed with a rare type of bone cancer. It's called chondrosarcoma. And at the time she was actually a writer on the show Vampire Diaries, which I've never seen but so many people love Vampire Diaries that I feel like I need to get into it at one point. But someone at Shondaland saw her Elle article and they reached out to her to come meet with Shonda Rhimes herself. And Shonda was impressed with her and hired her to work on Grey's Anatomy. So while this woman, Elizabeth Finch, was writing for Grey's, she would literally like weave her story of cancer and the trauma she had been to into the episodes she wrote. And mind you, when she was writing on the series, she would be there um, in the writer's room. She was bald. She'd wear a hair wrap. She had a bandage over what was presumably her port. And it just seemed like Everything awful happened to this woman, Elizabeth Finch. So keep these in mind when I'm about to tell you. I'm going to read this part about everything she went through. It says, against all medical odds due to her cancer treatments, she became pregnant. She faced the awful dilemma of aborting the child or dying if she wanted to carry it because she'd have to cease treatment, like as in her cancer treatment. So she chose to have an abortion. There was the kidney transplant she needed due to something cancer related. So for a while, she was saying that she only had um, one kidney. A dear friend was killed in the Tree of of Life Synagogue Massacre in Pittsburgh, where Finch went to college, which is a real-life shooting that happened. Uh, Many people were killed. So she said that she helped clean her friend's remains off the floor and that the FBI allowed it. Her brother, uh, Finch was realizing in midlife, had abused her many years ago, and then her brother took his own life. Uh, It says, but then not quite because he was so vindictive that he intentionally was unsuccessful and Finchie, as they referred to her, was the one who had to pull the plug on his life. So while Shonda was working on the Anna Delvey show, Inventing Anna, which I'm sure we've all heard of at this point, which is ironically a scammer show, Shonda gets an email on her personal account from a woman named Jennifer Buyer, saying that Elizabeth Finch had been telling stories and it was time to stop believing her. And at this point, I should note this uh, quote from Finch's attorney, just to save my own ass as well, it says, In response to detailed questions for Finch regarding information from multiple sources, her attorney, Andrew Brettler, contended that not all of Breyer's claims were true and asserted that Breyer was neither reliable nor unbiased because the two women are in the midst of a, quote, highly contentious divorce. So keep in mind that her entire family, all of her friends, everyone was under the belief that this woman, Finchie, had very serious cancer and was dying. But the whole time this was going on, she kept her family at arm's length and she would go visit them, but she would only stay for an hour or so. And at work, she seemed, like I said earlier, very visibly sick. She would seem like very green oftentimes or like pale. Oftentimes they would see her or hear her retching in the bathroom, throwing up. And I just have to interject to say that this girl seemed like a fucking nightmare to work with. But everyone sort of let it slide because she was dying, like they thought she was dying, and I don't blame them. Like I, I would, you know, you, you want to treat people well, and you're also kind of, I think, if you have any empathy at all, you're like, well, maybe they're acting like a raging bitch because they're dying and they're grappling with that, you know. You're like, maybe they're not acting like themselves. Is she a Munch-Alton person? We're getting there, Kenzie. Getting ahead of ourselves. I Am I right, though? <laughs> so. To remind you, after she allegedly had to wipe her friend's remains off the floor after the synagogue shooting and her brother allegedly died, um, she checked herself into rehab. But at that time, she had not told her uh, co-workers about her brother, you know, dying. So she checks herself into this rehab and she uses the name Joe. And of course, this was the name of a character on Grays that she had written. So she didn't use her real name. And this is where she actually meets Jennifer Byer, i.e. the woman who wrote Shonda the email. So and as you could tell by that lawyer note, they end up being together like spoiler alert. So Jennifer was also at rehab and she is a nurse and she has been through considerable real life trauma um and she was abused by her husband but she strikes up a friendship with Finchie at the rehab and this ends up blossoming into a relationship and because of the abuse that Jennifer had undergone at the hand of her husband this led to dissociative episodes. So there was one time where she was like in the car with her kids. She ends up like getting out of the car, walking into the woods. She snaps back into it. She has like no idea what she was doing, why she was there. And so she ends up going to rehab to get help. So eventually these two, again, their relationship gets closer and closer. Jennifer goes from Kansas to stay with Finchie in uh, Hollywood. I believe Finchie comes to Kansas But this is when the cracks start to show. So remember how we mentioned earlier that Elizabeth had a kidney transplant, like she needed one, and she only had one kidney for an amount of time? So first off, she says that Anna Paquin helped her with her kidney issue, and she actually did know Anna Paquin, the actress, because before Vampire Diaries, she was working on True Blood. So... I just thought that was an odd – we'll get to that further in a second. So Jennifer starts getting suspicious because she goes to the doctor with Finchie. And when she's there, the doctor basically says that Finchie slash Elizabeth has two kidneys. And I'm sorry. This is confusing because I'm referring to her as – her name is Elizabeth Finch. But a lot of times people will call her Finchie. And then, of course, while she was at rehab, she was going by Joe. Um. So this is the quote. It says, When they were face-to-face with the doctor at the hospital, Finch, to Byer's exasperation, wasn't saying anything about her medical history. Byer stepped in to say that Finch had cancer and only one working kidney. The doctor said, Let's go into the donut of truth, referring to the donut-shaped CT machine. Is that a cat machine? Is that a cat scan? Um, When the results came back, he looked at Byer and asked pointedly, Are you married? Byer said no, but that they planned to be soon. And then... Looking squarely at Bayer, the doctor said her kidneys look fine, stressing the plural. After they were discharged, Finch dismissed the wording. He probably just meant that my one working kidney looked fine, she said. They don't care about my pain. <laughs> okay, so here's where we get back to Anna Paquin. So Finch invites Bayer to come stay at her house in California, a beautiful spreadsheet she'd seen pictures of in their room at the treatment center. It was just the escape Bayer needed. The house was in Ojai, the most heavenly place she'd ever seen. Byer wondered how she could afford it all. Finch told her that it was Anna Paquin's house. That much was true, but that she owned part of it. Finch does not own part of Paquin's house, a source confirms, nor does Paquin have anything to do with Finch's kidneys. (laughs) So I'm glad we cleared that up. Okay, so remember that this whole time, Elizabeth is telling Jennifer that she has cancer, but she does not tell her that her brother is dead. Like, she ends up telling the people she's worked with. So, she had to keep up these lies, like, separately. And, eventually Jennifer and Elizabeth get married, but then Buyer starts getting a little suspicious. So, she starts scrolling through Elizabeth's Facebook and she scrolls all the way back to the day that the synagogue shooting happened. And she found that Elizabeth had just been out with her friends, and the next day when she was supposedly cleaning up her friend's body, she was just, again, out with friends. So it says a chill went through Byer's body. She continued scrolling, more frantically now. Here were pictures of Finch when she had a bald head, yet her eyebrows and eyelashes were still full. As a nurse, she knew that chemo patients who lost their hair often experienced the loss of their body hair, like brows and lashes. She found pictures that showed the bandage over was presumably a port scar a port scar finch didn't have one buyer knew her body as intimately as a person could the bandage itself looked shoddy wrinkled and open at the edge of places which would allow for infections so this is when the fear really starts getting her she's like oh shit something is up so finally jennifer confronts elizabeth about all of this saying like i knew you were targeting me mirroring me Um, I don't think the details about the shooting were real. Basically, that you were faking this stuff with your brother, Eric. And she just says, yes, yes. And then um, it's been confirmed that there was no one named Elizabeth Finch at the cleanup in Pittsburgh. And Jennifer says that she showed no emotion. And obviously, that kind of creeped her the hell out. So there comes a point where Jennifer is just so down and disappointed. She literally checks into a hotel Thinking she's going to kill herself. And fortunately, she ends up not going through with it, thank God. But after she confronts Elizabeth about this, Elizabeth is still not telling people the truth. And she's like begging her to tell her family, her friends, everyone. And then somehow Jennifer comes across an email from work and this is when she realized like from Elizabeth's work and this is when she realizes that she had been telling her co-workers that her brother was dead and you know how there's all these different stories going on and this is when she reaches out to Shonda and the showrunner at the time was Krista Vernoff and then she finally got a call from Disney HR so at this point, all of Elizabeth's ex-coworkers are like, you know, the rumor mill is swirling. And they learn that Eric Finch is alive. He works as a doctor in Florida. I looked him up. He's still very much alive. He actually works in um, Sebastian, Kenzie. <laughs> and they reevaluated everything that they had known about her. Like, oh, my God, you know, was she laughing because she was tricking all of them when she would like awkwardly laugh when they were riding together? The first cancer episode she wrote um, based on her was called Anybody Have a Map, which is a song from Dear Evan Hansen, which is literally about a compulsive liar. Uh, Like all these other weird things that they're like, is this just coincidences or was she just like this manipulative and crazy the whole time? So I apologize if you're hoping for a very satisfying wrap up to all of this. But unfortunately, like there is no answer to why she did all this, like literally Everything was a lie. The only thing that she maintains is true is that her brother sexually um, assaulted her when she was younger. Everything else she has owned up to being a lie, according to Jennifer. Um, Again, they are going through a contentious divorce trial. But I am just like, I don't know, this story, it just is so wild to me. Because Kinsey was like, oh, is it Munchausen's? And I'm like, well, I guess it kind of is Munchausen's, but... It seems, like, more sadistic than that and, like, on another level. So, again, I couldn't get to every detail in this story. It's very long. Like I said, it's a two-part lengthy article, but it's definitely worth reading. And if you just want to have, like, your mind blown. um. Okay, for our blind items, like, as promised, uh, it's about Harry Styles. So, I actually pulled three... Oh, should I, call, should I discuss all of them? I think I might because they're all just kind of funny. So again, blind items, grain of salt, not for sure if there's any truth to any of these. They're kind of just for fun in my mind. Um, and I'm just going to discuss with you if I think there's any truth to them. And I'm going to plug in Harry's name instead of saying A plus less boy bander. So it just makes it a little easier to read. So it says, speaking of music videos, Harry Styles wanted to make out with a guy in the video, but the record label said no. And and then it says, when it was revealed, it says Harry Styles, and then in parentheses, I think he throws out provocative things just to make them have 10 meetings to discuss. I disagree. I think Harry wanted to show his fluidity in a music video. And he, the lights up music video. I would think it has to be lights up because he's like writhing all over. It's kind of like orgy vibes. So I fully think he probably wanted to kiss the guy in that. Maybe not even for his own. I just think he wanted to like cause a little stir, you know, and it fit with the theme of the video. Okay. The next one, and that was from January 29th, 2020. The next one's from July 20, 2021. And this is of course about Harry Styles and Olivia Wilde. It says, it sounds like a plot point from Forgetting Sarah Marshall, but Harry Styles Failed to mention to his in quotations girlfriend he was going on tour for several months in the fall. Will she talk him into a documentary so she can tag along? I e. Olivia Wilde. <laughs> this one I just think is so stupid. Like these are from Crazy Days and Nights, and N T is very set on the fact that Olivia and Harry are a PR couple. I truly don't think they are. I've said that before on here. Like I think they're they're pretty serious. I'm sure like, they set up like tabloid things and whatever, and like they know when they're going to be papped and when they're not. Like, I think there's a PR element to it, of course, but I've never doubted like the veracity of this relationship or that she's a beard for him. I really don't think that. And um, I just can't imagine, <laughs> like, how would she not know he was going on tour? Like, I just think this whole blind is ridiculous. Like, no, absolutely no. I'm saying false on that one. Okay, this next one. (laughs) Olivia Wilde, who's in a heavily publicized fake relationship, has offspring. (laughs) Again, he just does not believe they're a couple. They, as in Olivia Wilde's children, recently performed a song about a sweet fruit at their summer camp, i.e. watermelon sugar. In the audience was Jason Sudeikis, who filmed it and looked uncomfortable. The camp posted it to their Insta until Jason Sudeikis complained and it was taken down. I mean, that one's probably verifiable. I just, I don't know how to find. Let me see if I can Google it really quick. Okay, no luck. Could not find a concrete answer. So I don't know if Jason just had it completely scrubbed off the internet, but I couldn't find anything reporting on it. So I don't know. If someone, if someone has the lowdown on that, um, let me know. But I think, I just thought that one was kind of funny too, guys. I don't know. Am I a child? <laughs> but also, I would think... He probably wanted it down because he didn't want his kids like on the internet, you know, connected to that. Like, I totally get that. I completely respect not wanting your kids to be caught up in the tabloid culture or in the public eye at all. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I made it a little longer this week to make up for the fact that I was... MIA last week. But of course, we have to end with my legit shit. I will keep it short and sweet, but I love a fake eyelash. And my favorite at the moment is the Kiss My Lash But Better Lashes. These have become my go-to. Kenzie's also gotten really good at putting on fake eyelashes, so I make her do it for me every time. And it's like having my own little glam team here. I'm telling you, these are so... like If you like a natural, not too long... Because the way my eyes are if my lashes, like fake lashes are too long, they literally hit my eyebrows and it's just, it's not comfy. It's not a cute look. These are perfect. They flare out really beautifully. They're like $5. I buy them in bulk because I, I mean, you can re-wear them a lot. I've reworn them tons of times. I just kind of re-wear them until they get too grimy where it looks disgusting. Um, which is honestly probably only like three times. And I just love them so I have a link in the show notes if you want a little fake lash moment but you don't want to commit something really dramatic give these a try all right thank you for listening I'll see you next week bye